0: Well good morning. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Psalm 64. So I I love this psalm and it's 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 uh, actually a psalm that God has used in my life from when I was a very young believer. And it really does inform the way that I think about life and it is just such an encouraging helpful thing. And I've tried to teach my kids these things because I want them to live this out in their life. But this is a psalm that addresses just how comforting God's protection is. And uh, here, let's put this up here so you can find it, Psalm 64, the comfort of God's protection. Um, So this really has shaped me in my thinking. Um, Are there ever any times when you see innocent people get hurt? And uh, isn't that, like, upsetting and frustrating Like I've thought about sometimes, you know, I'm heartbroken over just the the pain and the difficulties that we see in life. You know, you'll hear about some gang members that killed each other, and you just think, oh, man, that's, that's terrible. But in some ways, they get what they deserve. Like they're in this thing, and they're killing each other, and they're doing these evil things. But how much outrage do we feel? When we hear about some gang member that's driving around shooting shots into a neighborhood or a school area and some second grade kid walking home from school gets shot. Like we feel outrage about that. And uh, this is just a psalm that addresses the comfort of God's protection. I, I've, I remember like as a youth pastor one time this girl shows up to youth group and her face is just all swollen and she's all, she, you know, she got beat up at school. And, and you just look at that, and it's just like, man, you know, the, the things that kids go through in their life, Christian students in classes where they just feel like everybody is against them, the teachers are against them. Uh, not just that, but you see like faithful believers living in life, and, and you see sometimes they suffer and there's people that are against them. And sometimes it can feel like the world is against people. I've seen it in Christian marriages where, or, or in marriages where you'll see somebody getting divorced. And a person just hurts the other person. I remember one time just talking to this individual in a marriage that was really wronged. And um, was just like gracious and humble and loving and wanted restoration. And I'm just thinking, man, if it was me, I'd be out and just seeing that soft-hearted person desiring to please the Lord and seeing another person just sin against them and just thinking, man, this just isn't right. Um, I've seen it in churches where the authority that God gives that is supposed to be an encouragement and a blessing and humble servanthood, sometimes there are churches where, where you have leaders in church that become abusive to people. And they're spiritually abusive, and they do things that are, that are just damaging and harmful. I remember telling this, this, one, this one person was struggling with something going on at a church, and in a really humble, gracious way, they're going to the leaders, and they're saying, you know, I'm struggling with what I'm seeing. They're, just, they're approaching it in the right way, and those leaders are like moving to like put this person on church discipline. And where whenever they leave and try to go to another church, that other church is going to say, hey, you can't come here. You've got to go back and work these things out in their previous church. <laughs> I remember just thinking, oh, my goodness, what incredible abuse can happen to people and just how wrong that can be. And uh, this is a psalm that just talks about God's protection. Um, And sometimes uh, in your life, I don't know if you've ever felt overwhelmed, you've ever felt like people are against you, people are speaking negatively about you, and you could potentially be impacted by that. I remember as a new Christian, so I've just become a Christian, I start working for this construction company, and um, I was just so diligent and working really hard and trying to learn, and I happened to be... um, the, the partner that I was given that was supposed to train me was the, the son of the owner of the company. And so we would go away and, and I was just trying my best to learn as much as I could and to work really hard and to do a good job and, and sometimes we'd go to a house and uh, he would drop me off and he'd say, hey, I'm going to be back in a few hours. And he would just leave, and he'd go get the tires on his car changed. He would just go do other things. And, hey, I'm the new trainee. This is above my pay grade. I'm not in charge of anything. And so I would just work as hard as I could. And then after I did everything I knew how to do, there was like this other crew in this house across the street that also worked for our company. And so I would go over to one of those guys and say, hey, I've done everything I know how to do. Could you come over and help me, like, just show me some things that I could do so I could keep working? And so they would come over. They would show me what to do. And what I found out later was we weren't getting, and this is no surprise, we were not getting enough work done as much as the boss expected. And so at the end of the day, we'd come home, and uh, his son would walk into his house, and he'd say, hey, how come you guys didn't get anything done today? You got, like, that's all you did today? And he starts saying to his dad, he's like, yeah, you know, Raj is just – just really lazy, and sometimes he won't work, and he didn't say, well, I just decided to go change the tires on my car today, so I was gone for half the day. He, he started blaming me, and, and all this is happening behind the scenes, and I don't realize it, and actually, I found out later that his dad was going to fire me, but he decided that my son is one day going to be running this company, and so I'm going to let him work with Roger because he needs to learn how to, as an employer, deal with people like this. And so I, I was only preserved as, a, as an example of, you know, just a project for this guy to work on. And it was kind of interesting. So then, so I end up finding, I hear that this is going on. I'm thinking, Matt, what do I do about this? I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to honor the Lord. I'm going to work hard. I cannot control what he's saying in secret to his dad. And so I'm just going to show up every day and work hard. And I was a new Christian, and one of the things I did was I shared the gospel with everybody that I worked with and everybody in the, in the crew knew I was a Christian. And and so I just kept working hard. And then um, somebody, somebody, one of the people working in that other house heard what was being said about me. And they said, nah, you know what, whenever we're there, Roger's always working really hard. So his dad goes to his son and says, um, they're saying Roger always works really hard and fast. He goes, yeah. Yeah, I mean, some days he's amazing and he works super hard. And other days he just sits in the truck and won't get out of the truck. And, and one time his dad, so his dad comes to me, and this was like bewildering, because he comes to me and he just says, you know, you got to work consistently every day. You can't have a good day and a bad day. And at the time I didn't know any of this was going on. I said, you know, I don't know what you're saying. I worked exactly the same every single day. And, but what was amazing is as time is going on, when I should be getting raises, I am not getting raises. Like these things are all impacting me, sometimes in ways I don't know. But what was really cool is that God, through that whole thing, ends up preserving me, protecting me. And I went through all this period of time without getting any raises. And then this other guy, the boss's son-in-law says, give him to me. I want to work with him. And then he went and advocated and I just got like these massive raises. And by the time I left that company to go be a pastor, the boss sat me down and just said, don't go into ministry. He said, that is not the right thing for you to do. Ministry is for people who can't do other things. You are really good at this and you should work for me. And and God ended up blessing me in that job to the point that when I was in college, I took all my classes on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and I worked for this guy on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. And that that paid for my college, and God used that to just bless me in my life. And so I've seen these kinds of things work their way out in life. And I want to look at this psalm and how we as believers can just think about God's protection in our life. And I want you to know that if you are a child of God, God loves you, God will protect you, He will take care of you in ways that you don't even realize when there are things that are happening that you know about and even things that you don't know about. Our lives are never in the hands of someone else. They are always in God's hands. And uh, that frees us to live for God's glory and to obey God and not to say, I have to take matters into my own hands. I have to take care of myself we're going to go through this psalm in just a moment, but I want to throw a verse, a passage. This is Romans chapter 12, verse 17 to 20. And by the way, this was one of the first passages that I memorized after becoming a Christian. And so while all those things were going on in my life, this is the passage that just kept coming to mind, and this is what it says. It says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable In the sight of all, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Look at verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As we think about this psalm, um, I want you to just think about in your life. Um, have you ever been overwhelmed, discouraged, feel fearful? Have you ever had anxiety about the future related to ways that people were, or somebody was persecuting you or hurting you? Have you ever been stressed out about that? That is what this psalm is about. Now, life is complicated, and uh, we don't always have a good understanding of why we suffer. Um, Sometimes we suffer because of consequences of poor choices we've made. Sometimes we suffer because of God's discipline. We're wandering away, and he brings difficulty into our lives. Sometimes we suffer because God has a good purpose in our suffering. Like think about Joseph, right? He didn't do anything to be sold as a slave into Egypt, but God was doing something bigger than him in his life. Sometimes we suffer because we live in an evil world with evil people who are willing to step on anybody to get ahead. You ever see that happen in life? Sometimes we suffer because we're God's children, and because of that, people hate us and oppose us. Well, this Psalm, is, uh, it's written by King David, and I wanna just say a few things about Psalms. Uh, um, first of all, Psalms, the book of Psalms, is the Hebrew songbook, it's worship. It's talking about God. It's expressing things. And Psalms is the longest book in the Bible. It was written over the longest period of time. Moses uh, wrote the first Psalm, and Psalms was written. It it's, was written over the longest period of time. Um, there were 75 Psalms written by David. This Psalm we're going to look at was written by King David. There's 12 by Asaph, 12 by, or 10 by the sons of Korah. Two Psalms were written by Solomon, David's son, Moses, Heman, Ethan have written Psalms, and then there's 50 that we don't even know who wrote them. But it's the worship book of Israel, and you know what? They're not fake. When you read Psalms, there's no f- fake platitudes, man. It is the reality of life. These Psalms um, teach great theology, and sometimes they express great theology. And so uh, let's let's read this Psalm 64 and um, and then we're going to dig through it. So we're going to just read the whole thing, and then we're going to go through it and see five really important things in here. Um, it says this, to the choir master. So this is written for the choir master, a psalm of David. So David wrote this. Now, I just want to say something about those titles to the psalms. Um, people don't know if they're like part of scripture or not part of scripture, or if they were just like a title that was added really early on, like a historical um, marking for the psalm. And so they're super, those, those phrases are super old, and uh, they, they just, they tell us things about the psalm. And then here is, here's the, the psalm. Here is what David is going to say. He says, hear my voice, O God, and my complaint. Preserve my life from the dread of the enemy hide me from the secret plots of the wicked from the throng of evil doers who wet their tongues like a sword who aim bitter words like arrows shooting from ambush at the blameless shooting at him suddenly and without fear and they hold fast to their evil purpose they talk of laying snares secretly thinking who can see them they search out injustice saying, We have accomplished a diligent search, for the inward mind and the heart of man are deep. But God shoots his arrow at them. They are wounded suddenly. They are brought to ruin. Their own tongues turned against them. All who see them will wag their heads. Then all mankind fears. They tell what God has brought about and ponder what he has done. Let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. Let all the upright in heart exalt. So this is a psalm of David, and it's his personal lament. He is in trouble, and he is crying out to God. And we don't know about the circumstances, but when you think about King David, King David was a righteous, faithful man growing up, and he suffered so much persecution. He was loyal to Saul. And Saul was trying to kill him. There are all kinds of things that happened to him in his life where he was pursuing the Lord and just one thing after another would go wrong and he would do the right thing and he would just suffer. And this is one of those moments where he just feels like everybody is against me. My life is in danger. He's feeling overwhelmed and he calls out to God. So let's consider the first thing. Uh, The first thing that we're going to see here in verse 1 and 2 is the prayer for protection. And this is a key for you to know that when you're struggling, you should pray. That is the first thing that you should do. Um, Look what he says here. He says, hear my voice, O God, and my complaint. Preserve my life from the dread of the enemy. He is feeling overwhelmed. He is dreading. This is powerful in his life. Preserve my life from the dread of the enemy. It's hard to describe how upsetting this is for him because he feels like his life is at stake. And then he's saying, God, hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the throng of evildoers. Now, the throng of evildoers, that's like the, just the sound of a crowd. It's like if there was a whole crowd and these people are all moving and they're coming after him, it would almost be like, you know, like what, what we've seen in the news over the last year where, where there's just this riot and people are going through the streets and they're burning things and they're destroying things. And to feel like, oh, my goodness, listen to that noise and that throng of this crowd and they're coming after me to hurt me and what can I do? That's how he's feeling and it's a throng of evildoers. These are people who practice evil, man. It's, it's what they do in their life. Now, there are some things, and I'm just going to point them out right now, that you see in Hebrew when you look at this song. So the first one is, there's the word, the Hebrew word for the evildoers is going to be used again at the end of the psalm about God's works. And so the psalm is, starts by focusing on the actions of these people, but it's going to end by focusing on the actions of God. There's another thing that you're going to see happen in the psalm as we go through it is, the, is this concept and this word fear. It's like these evil people are doing things without fear. They have no reverence. They have no fear. And then later we're going to talk about the fear and reverence for God. So there's that play of these people not fearing instead of fearing God as they should. And the other one is blameless. So the theme in this psalm is, is that the blameless is being attacked. And right here in this verse when it says, uh, in the next verse where it talks about that they have, they have accomplished their plan. That, that word for accomplished is complete, which is also the same Hebrew word for blameless. So it's going to talk about their, what they've accomplished. And so when you're reading this in Hebrew, as you see these things, there's these connections, these things that flow into your mind. Oh, they have a complete plan against the blameless, and and so that's like something that you should see. And it's is are we going to focus on their works or God work God's works? Are we going to go throughout life without fear, or are we going to live with reverence for God? So those are kind of some of the things that are happening here. And these are, these are just these are evil people, man. They're threatening, and they're they are powerful in these things that they do. Um, as believers, we pray. As we think about what we focus on, we always remember this verse. And Jesus said this in Matthew 28, 10, 28. Don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul. Jesus is saying when you live your life, don't be mostly concerned with what's out there. You live your life with a thought of who's up there. And that's what should drive and motivate our life. And that impacts the way we think about ourselves, but it also impacts how we think about other people, how we think about the people around us. I just wanna say something about just this Psalm and about all these things in general. You and I need to be people who are living this out. And, And one of the things that's important with theological truth is that as we live our life, we should always be thinking What is it that God says is true? How should this impact the way I think, the way I feel, and my actions? And we need to ingrain these things in ourselves. We need to train ourselves to think and then act. And then the other thing that we do is that when we are discipling people, when we're discipling our kids, when we're discipling other men in the church, when you're meeting in Bible studies with people, as people talk and share about difficulties that they're going through, like for me, my kids came home from school and they were afraid of their teachers, they were afraid of some, somebody at school that was picking on them. Um, I didn't just say, okay, who's picking on you? Like, I mean, Michelle sometimes, we'd be on the playground and uh, some little kid would, like, pick on one of our kids on the playground and she wanted to go out on the playground and push that other kid down. <laughs> I'm like, Michelle, you're a grown adult, you can't push down the three-year-old who just pushed down your kid. Is that okay that I said that, Michelle? We used to have that conversation. We used to have that conversation about stuff. But you know what? That's, that is not, was not my primary focus on I'm going to go run around and fix everything for my kids. The primary thing I did is I said, okay, what are the things that God says? And I would read this psalm to them and say, how does this psalm impact that? How does what God is saying here, how is that going to impact how you think and feel about what's happening? And here's the cool thing. This psalm is going to talk about God's protection. And so I would talk to my kids about those things or, or people that I was discipling as they were afraid of somebody at work or they were afraid of something going on, I would say, hey, this is what God says about this. And then what was really cool is to sit back and then to watch how those things all work out in life and then go, see how God protected you here? See how God protected you here? You see how this worked its way out in that situation? And so that, so that we are growing up and as the body of Christ that we are helping each other to know what God says and then to think about how that works its way out in life. And so that's one of the things that we do as believers is you cannot teach something you don't know. And so these are not verses just for someone else. These are verses for us to put into our own heart and life. So let's look at his problems that were, he needed for, for protection he uh, prayed. Let's look at his problems. The second thing that we see here are his problems. And his problems were huge. <laughs> what I want to say to you, there is no problem you are facing that is too big for God. Not one. So it says in verse uh, 63, it says, They wet their tongues like swords. And, and I, I will just say this, I hate the way the ESV translates that. Anybody know what wet your tongue like a sword means? So W-E-T, did they just dip it in water to get it wet? I mean, you wet your tongue, right? Oh, except it's spelled with an H, it's W-H-E-T. What does that mean? Sharpen, I, I, who said that? That's awesome, yes, sharpen. So there's a wetting stone and you do get that stone wet, but um, you, there's, a, there's a wetting stone and you sharpen on a stone. And so, but the, the point of this is that they are sharpening their tongues like a sword. They're going to use their mouth to attack and to harm. It's one of the things I thought about in that work situation way back. And by the way, that was, the f- that was like the first time I can really remember that happening. That has happened to me many times where people will go different places and say things about me. And, and um, I, I have, it hurt that job. One time I was working somewhere and somebody went to somebody and said a bunch of things that weren't true about me. And they just, it was, I was subcontracting. They just never called me back and I knew why. And it was because of what some people were saying that weren't true. Like in my life, I have been impacted by things that people have said that are not true. And there are people that they, they use their tongues and their words as a sword who aim Bitter words like arrows. They shoot from ambush at the blameless. They shoot at him suddenly and without fear. That, there's, there's your thing. They are attacking the blameless and they're not even afraid. They, they have this well-devised plan. Remember <laughs> one time years ago? And, you know, this is the thing is that we expect all this kind of stuff out in the world but we don't expect it in the church, do we? I remember one time we're going to a congregational meeting and there's all these people sitting around in this meeting and there's these two guys sitting at a table and they were gonna try to create some problems in the church and so it's a, it's a Sunday afternoon or evening wherever this meeting was and they're sitting around these tables and these two people are actually plotting at the table and, and they're so callous that other people are coming in and they're sitting at the table with them and they're saying, okay, in the meeting, when they say this, you get up and say this. And then after you say that, then I'm going to get up and I'm going to say this. Like they have this well-devised plot. And it's just one of those things that I just thought was kind of hilarious is that they didn't even have the sense to hide it. (laughs) They're like doing it in the room with everybody around and people sitting at the table with them. And I'm just thinking, you know, sometimes God just makes people stupid. I think he's trying to just, you know, bring, you know, it's like they, they, they think they have this well-devised plot and God's just undoing it. And you think, why would they do that? It doesn't even make any sense. And it's like, but we see those kinds of things happen. And so they think that they're doing this suddenly and they have no reverence. They have no fear. They are not afraid of what they're doing. And what's a key here is that they are attacking, in this psalm, they are attacking a spiritually blameless person. Man, think about that. What should happen in a person's mind when they attack a blameless person? That should be a scary thing. But there's no fear. They hold fast to their evil purposes. They talk of laying snares secretly thinking, who can see these snares that I'm laying? I got these well-devised plans. I've done it behind closed doors. Nobody's going to know. They think they have it all worked out. Now, what is, what is happening here when it says, who can see? What does that do in your mind? This is a poem. So poems do interesting things. When it says, who can see, what, what happens in your mind? They think, who can see? See, this psalm's not talking about God directly yet, but don't, doesn't your mind immediately go to that God sees everything? God knows everything? They think who can see. But guess what? God does see. But the psalm is going to say that later. But right now he's, the psalmist is just like he's getting you ready. He's kind of leading you that direction. And then they search out injustice. They are working really hard. They're having this plan to do something wrong. We have accomplished a diligent search or this diligent plan. Everything is set up. And that word accomplished is a word for blameless. It's complete. They have accomplished it. They've completed it. And the word blameless is a person who before God is spiritually complete. So it's the same word. So now you're saying they have accomplished this plan against the, against the innocent. Man, people should be terrified to mess with innocent people. But they're not always. Always for the inward mind and heart of a man are deep. That just means, why do people do things like this? It's hard to understand people and their motivations. I often think about that uh, when you just think about the fact that, you know, there's people that should love each other, encourage each other, build each other up. Like, let's just talk about families. You know, husbands and wives, kids and parents, aunts and uncles, um, We should all be loving and encouraging each other and building each other up. And yet sometimes where is the greatest harm and the greatest difficulty and where does where a lot of times does attack come from? Isn't it sometimes most painful because it comes from the people who are the closest to us? People that you would think, and and let's just think about that. Why do we get into the place where we start attacking people? A lot of times it's because they hurt us and then we hurt them. We feel like somebody is against us and then we become against them. Like that's one of the things I think is just crazy in churches too, is there are people in churches who are actually against other people in churches because they don't like something about them or they feel like that person's attacked them or harmed them or hurt them. And it's like we can have people that are against people. It's like, instead of going, no, we are all on the same team. We love each other. We're gonna build each other up. We're gonna encourage each other. You know, that is one of the, if you think about it, That is one of the things. That single thing is what Satan uses to harm relationships, to destroy families, to neutralize the ministry of churches. It's when people get off track. Remember that first one? You never take your own revenge. You do good, and you let God sort things out. It's trusting in his his power and his sovereignty. You know, I want to just... Think for a second about the tongue and how powerful words are. Like in this psalm, they talk about swords and arrows. And I want to just list a, a few psalms here. And this first one I, I like throw, I'm sorry, it's a proverb. Um, this first one is one of my favorite ones I like to talk about, because there are certain passages in Scripture that get so abused. And this one is one of them. Have you ever heard this one before? Uh, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. There are prosperity preachers and people with bad theology that quote this verse all the time. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Uh, You control your life, the outcome of your life, by what what you say. If you say certain things, that will bring them into reality. So don't say, oh, I'm really struggling financially, say, I'm rich, I'm rich. And if you say that enough, you'll be rich. In fact, I've known people that when they're sick, they'll show up, they're coughing and they're sneezing and, and they're, they're totally sick. And, and then the husband will say, oh, man, I'm really feeling sick. And his wife will say, don't say that. Don't say you're sick. You're not sick. You're well. You're good. You're, you're feeling amazing because the power of life and death is in the tongue. And they, and they think that what that means is that you have the ability to speak your truth into existence. Uh, there's a lot of theology. I mean, In fact, I would say 90% of the times you hear this verse, that is the context in which you'll hear it. And not true. What this verse is saying is that the tongue is powerful. Remember James 3? We put a tiny um, rudder on a ship, and it directs the whole ship. You put this little uh, bit in the horse of a mouth, and it controls this big, massive horse. And then it says but just a, a little tiny spark um, we'll burn a whole forest. And this is just saying that your words are powerful. And uh, that's pretty significant as you think about your life and the way that words can hurt you. But the other thing we need to think about here is, how do we use our words? Are we ever on the other end of this where we are hurting people with things that we say? When you think about the power of your words, we don't try to speak things into existence. But do we encourage? Do we build up? What's our house like? Do do we say like 50 negative things in a day to one another? Do we say 50 negative things to our kids? Are kids saying negative things to each other? Like sometimes you you don't quite recognize the power of these little things that happen 100 times in a day. I mean, what about your ministry and, and the way you are with people? That, that's one thing that I learned as a new believer. It's like all these things God was doing in my life as a new believer. But one of the things that I used to do is I always cut people down. I would joke at people's expense. I would tease people, and people teased me. And and I just I had thick skin. I thought it was funny, and, and like, I, it didn't bother me. And at a certain point, I realized that even though it's a joke, um, and even though I'm just kind of teasing people here and there, i should never say anything negative to or about anybody i should always be encouraging and positive and building them up and if i'm going to joke why joke in a negative way why not joke positively when i walk up to somebody instead of going dude those shoes look like they're from 40 years ago you know instead of making some negative joke about somebody's clothes Why not pick something positive about them and joke about that? Man, you look like you work out every day. Do you live in the gym? Um, Why not pick out something positive that's true and say that to them instead of saying something that you could say that's negative? And so I just tried to practice never flattering people, never saying things that weren't true, but I tried to train myself to just notice what do people do well? Say that to them. And so these words are powerful. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Gracious words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, health to the body. Or Proverbs twelve eighteen: there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. What kind of habits do you want to have in your life? Well, these wicked people... They don't have the right kind of habits. They're actually doing harm with their words. Let's look at the third thing here, the person needed for protection. You know, I think that this is uh, one of our most important points, and it's one of the most important things that we think about, is who do you need for protection? You want to know what makes it hard to obey the things that God says, especially about returning good for evil, about treating enemies well, what makes that hard is we think we hold life in our hands. And sometimes when people are attacking us, we feel like, man, if I don't attack back, then I'm just going to be the one who loses. And that happens in marriages. Like I've, I've talked to people, spouses, where they'll say, No, if they treat me this way, I'm going to do this to them. They need to learn that they don't get what they want when they do this. i got to punish their bad behavior so they'll learn to be better. And so you get these spouses that punish each other. (laughs) I never see marriages get better that way. What gives us the freedom to just do what God says we should do? It's because we know who protects us. We know who holds our life in his hands. And I realized, as a new Christian, I've been a believer for about three months, and I realized, I remember going home and I was feeling this distress about what this guy was saying about me at work, and I just thought, you know what? My boss actually does not have the ability to fire me. Even if he wanted to, he owns a company, he cannot fire me. God decides whether or not I work there, not him. Um, Proverbs also tells us that the heart of the king is like channels in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. People are going before a judge. You think a judge decides what happens in your life? No, God does. Um, You think that when you go around different places that there are other people that are in control of you? No, God actually controls if people like you or don't like you. And so we just realize, hey, I don't know what God's doing here, but God's the one that I need for protection. Look at this, verse 7. But God shoots his arrows at them. They are wounded suddenly. They're trying to suddenly wound you, but God is going to suddenly wound them. You know what the difference is between God and your enemies? Sometimes your enemies' plans don't work out. God's plans always work out. Um, I think about this passage, and this is one of the things that I think we need to have in our mind as we approach life. Uh, Romans 8 says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? 2 Thessalonians 1.6, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who have afflicted you. Paul writes to the Thessalonian church, and he's like, you guys are being persecuted for your faith. And you know what? God sees that it's right to afflict people who have afflicted you. You know, we think about often we don't see justice in this life, but to know that God is just and God is working justice in ways we don't see it and on his timetable. And there's times that it seems like we're losing, but the truth is that we are never losing. And God is the one that we need to protect us. Now, when you think about that, that is going to impact, you know, return good for evil, pray for your enemies, bless those who persecute you, Do you know how many believers I know that when they hear that, they're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, but I'm not doing that. I mean, there's some other things I'm doing, but no, I'm not doing that. Well, if God's the one who protects, if God's the one we need to please, what happens to you when you say, I know, God, you tell me to be nice to my enemies, but nope, I'm going to hate them because they deserve it. What just happened to you? If you think about your life as that God is holding everything in His hands and controlling everything, um, would you ever do anything that nobody could see or in secret? Like this is the whole thing; everything's out in the open. Nothing is in secret. Would you ever disregard something God says? I just got to tell you, like we've talked about this in my family. Um, I have a, a huge. This is like a huge issue for me in the sense of my own conscience. I can do anything, I can face any difficulty as long as I know that in my life I'm honoring the Lord. And there's times like we've been talking about things and we've been thinking about how we're going to approach something and it's a little gray as to how we're going to approach it. And I've just said to Michelle, not a chance are we taking this path. I'm not saying she's trying to make me do the wrong thing, but just as we think about options hey, what are the options that we have? And I just go, there is, there's absolutely no chance we're doing this because if we do that and if we compromise, and I don't have the, the peace and the security of God's care and God's blessing in my life, so I will not do that option. I'm going to pick a different option. And, um, you know, you think about this person for protection. You know, in Exodus chapter 14, Verse 14, and also in Romans, God says he raised up Pharaoh to destroy him. And one of the things that God says to Israel right after they're leaving and this this Egyptian army is chasing them and they're about to go across the Red Sea, God says this in Exodus 14, 14, he says, I will fight for you. You just have to be quiet. God just says, stand over there silently doing nothing and I will fight for you. Doesn't that kind of sound like Romans twelve seventeen through 21? Uh, leave room for the wrath of God, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And so uh, they're doing they're doing this evil, and God is the one they need. Here's the fourth thing, the purpose of God's protection. And I think that often we forget why God protects us. And there's two things that you need to keep in mind. One, is God protects you because he loves you and he's, you're his child. That was that Romans 8. If God loves us, if God is for us, who can be against us? And what I want you to know is God is for you. And if God's for you, who can be against you? So God protects you because he loves you. But did you know that there is a higher purpose in life? God protects us for his glory. Like, think about that. God protects us for his glory, when your reputation is wrapped up in the reputation of Christ, what's God going to do with your reputation? Like, I'm going to work. I have one goal. God, I want to please you. I want to honor you. I, wa- I want to put your attributes on display. All these people I work with, they don't know you, and I, wa- I want to communicate the gospel, and I want to pray for them, and I want to see them come to know you. Like, that was the purpose of my life. And so when God protected me, What was he protecting? Protecting his own reputation. Um, And this is what this says, verse 9. The purpose of God's protection is his own glory. Then all mankind fears. They will tell what God has brought about and ponder what he has done. There's that word for do that was used earlier in the psalm. When God protects you, the people who attack the innocent, the godly, You know, think about the message that that sends where people are thinking, man, every time I attack a Christian, my life melts down. Like that sends a bigger message than you. And especially if you didn't do anything to hurt them, when you didn't retaliate, when you were kind, when you responded with love toward them and they see, man, don't mess with Christians. Who gets the attention when somebody is walking away from a situation going, that's a Christian, don't mess with Christians. That gives God the glory because it 's not Christians that protect themselves it 's God who is protecting and working things out. Man, I treated this person this way, and my car blew up, and my transmission went out and then I had this problem, and then this other thing happened, and I tried to get them fired, and then I got fired like when you think about what whose glory is protected and that 's one of the things that uh, happens in second kings so so there's this story where this this um This king comes into Israel, it's Sennacherib, and uh, he comes in and just says, your God can never protect you from me. And Hezekiah just lays out this thing before God and says, God, we're in trouble, what do we do? And this is what God says. He says, thus says the Lord, don't be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. They reviled God by saying, we're destroying you and you can't be protected. God can't protect you. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he'll hear a rumor return to his own land and I'll make him fall by the sword in his own land. So this angel comes out, kills massive numbers of people in his army. He ends up going home and one of his own sons kills him while he's worshiping. Um, you don't mess with God. Like the best thing is if you ever get persecuted for being a Christian specifically, it's like take a step back and go, man, that's awesome. Because God doesn't put up with that. When we're humble, when our attitude is he must increase, I must decrease. Like think about the instruction that God has given you that puts you in his protection. Um, Look at this where it says, whatever you do, Whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. God tells you to do everything for his glory. And do you realize that when God tells you to do that, he is saying, be the person that is loving me and worshiping me and that I will always protect. When you do everything for God's glory, there's a lot of people who wonder why God's not protecting them. Well, it's because your life's about you. You don't care about God's glory. You don't care about God's reputation. You don't care about honoring and pre- pleasing the Lord in your life. You're all about you. And then whenever anything goes wrong in your life, you whine and cry. And God says, no, you live your life to glorify me. Like, that's God giving you the answer to the test. It's like, okay, how do I, how do, how do I be blessed in life? Well, that's how. Just say, life's not about me, it's about you. When your life's tied up in the worship of God, when you live for his glory when you stand for Christ with no concern for your spiritual well-being, when you happily suffer for Christ, when your life exists to build his kingdom, when your life is an expression of the humble exaltation of Christ, man, you are a dangerous person to mess with. Don't ever mess with that person. And then uh, let's look at the last one is this. What's the prerequisite for protection? Protection. <laughs> if you want to be protected what has to be there you already know the answer to this but I'll just read it let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him let the upright in heart exalt it's righteous people that God's, God protects it is righteous people that God blesses it's the upright um, that is why by the way we never attack people or harm people that are made in God's image. And that includes in and outside the church, even our enemies. Why are we good to our enemies? Because these people are made in God's image and God wants us to love them. Why are we never against another brother or sister in Christ? because God is for them. Even when brothers and sisters in Christ sin, even when other believers do things and say things that they shouldn't do, even when other believers hurt us, that is for God to discipline and work out in their life. It is never for us to be against them. I heard a pastor one time and he was being interviewed by um, somebody And he had just been, he is a very famous pastor, and he was just criticized by another famous pastor. And somebody said to him, "Uh, yeah, did you see that article that came out about you? He's like, yeah, yeah, I saw that. He's like, well, what do you think about what that guy said about your ministry? And and this pastor just said, you know what? Um, What he thinks about me has no control over what I think about him. And I think that man is a wonderful man. He has a a wonderful, blessed ministry, and I'm very thankful for him. He didn't say anything negative about him. And he says, just because he doesn't like me doesn't mean I can't like him. And so I like him. And I'm thankful for him. And God has used him in great ways. As believers, we are never against other believers. Because when we do that, you remove yourself from God's protection, and you put yourself in God's crosshairs. Like, think about King David, right? So King David has been anointed as the next king. He's traveling around. He's done nothing but to bless and encourage and help Saul, King Saul. And Saul's determined to kill him. He throws a spear at him while he's playing music for him. David's loyal, and Saul's trying to set these traps. Um, God has told Saul, I'm rejecting you as king, and I've chosen somebody else better than you to be king in your place. David. We don't realize that David was anointed the next king before any of those things of Paul persecuting him happened. A lot of times we think that happened later. No, that happened first. And then Saul is persecuting David and Saul just goes to to his son Jonathan and he says, unless we kill David, you'll never be king. And you know what, Jonathan is like, no, David's a great man. He's a loyal man. He loves the Lord. He's been loyal to you. You should not be trying to harm David. And Jonathan was loyal to David. Saul is trying to kill David. You want to know what David said? He he wanders into a cave, and Saul's there, and he could kill him. And everybody around David says, see, God's given your enemy into your hands. You know what David says? He says, I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. God chose him, God made him king, I will have nothing to do with removing him. When God decides to remove him, God can remove him. I will not do it. See, that's the attitude that we need to have toward brothers and sisters in Christ. That doesn't mean we don't address sin. It doesn't mean we don't address things that happen. It doesn't mean that we turn a blind eye to things. But anytime we ever do or say anything to a brother in Christ, it is Galatians 6.1. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness looking to yourself lest you be tempted. We address things that are wrong. We, uh, we address problems, things that could damage or harm the church, but never for self-interest. Always for the well-being of the person and the well-being of the body of Christ. And everything that we do is done in love. And we are never against the body of Christ, a person in the body of Christ. So there's tons of examples in that biblically. As we've gone through this psalm, you can remember many of them. So I want to just encourage you in your life, be blameless. Don't ever attack because you've been attacked. Don't ever attack another child of God. And if you ever find yourself not blameless, what do you do? You just repent. (laughs) Like that's the path to getting out of a lack of blamelessness because we all slip into a lack of blamelessness, right? And so then what do we do? We just repent and we love each other and we forgive each other. So I hope that you are encouraged by this psalm. Sometimes God allows suffering, but isn't it nice to know that there's a God who loves us and cares for us and protects us? Let me pray. God, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for this psalm. And Lord David, lived this. And we get the benefit of his experience, not only his experience, but, Lord, your inspiration. You moved him to write these things. You moved him to think these thoughts about you. And, God, you in this psalm are telling us about yourself. You are telling us how to view and think about life. And, Lord, there are people here this morning who are struggling. They are suffering. There are people that are going after them. Lord, help them to be resolved and committed to honor you and to love you and to obey you. Lord, help them to repent of sin in their life and to be blameless. And God, I pray that you would protect them from the attacks of the people around them, sometimes at work, sometimes neighborhoods, sometimes friends and family members. Lord, help us to be people that exalt you, that glorify you, that put your attributes on display in your name. Amen.